the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS On Air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and we're delighted to welcome you to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zerniel. Carol, as many of you know, is the chair of the National Council on Aging. She also serves as executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and in that capacity, uh, oversees WellMed support for programs that help seniors in our community, many of the senior centers in our community, and a whole lot more. And, uh, Carol, I wanted to share the really great news that you shared at the WellMed Charitable Foundation golf tournament the other day about a big grant that the Charitable Foundation has received. Well, thank you for asking about that. Uh, We did receive an Elder Justice Innovation Grant from the Administration on Aging, Administration for Community Living, which is the big federal department in in the government that deals with elder issues. And I believe we've talked in the past that we at the WellMed Charitable Foundation and WellMed Clinics have been working together to identify um, seniors who are at risk of elder abuse. We're actually screening them um, using a tool that was developed in Canada. And I know you're going to tell us about our upcoming guest who's from Canada. Indeed, we're going to be talking with Rick Lauber in just a couple of moments. He is a- an author and has written on caregiving. Uh, the Successful Caregiver's Guide is one of his books. And he served for a period of time as a caregiver for his mom and his dad. Uh, he'll be joining us from uh, up in Alberta, Canada. Right. So so uh, it's all things Canadian today, um, but our screen, the screening tool, the Elder Abuse Suspicion Index that was developed um, by Dr. Mark Yaffe, uh, we've been using that and we've identified, we've screened like 13,000 patients, we've identified like 1,000. These are well-med patients. Well-med patients that had to be referred to Adult Protective Services and 500 actually had their uh, abuse substantiated. So you think about 500 people who were really at risk. So the new grant allows us to look at what is probably the the least understood but the most common form of, a, of abuse, and that's self-neglect. So I think all of us know an older person who has stopped taking care of themselves. They're not eating well. They're not taking their medicine. Uh, they may have additional problems. Maybe they're a hoarder. Maybe they're... You know, they're they're the 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 eccentric older person that's just not taking they care of themselves. They've got hygiene themselves. go. Hygiene's gone, right. um, and so that also means medical neglect. And so in WellMed, we know people who don't take their medicines. They don't take care of themselves. So this grant is it's a million dollar grant. It's in partnership with the Benjamin Rose Institute in Cleveland and the uh, Texas uh, Department of Family and Protective Services. And we're going to be looking at our patients who self-neglect, who medically neglect, and see what is it that they have in common um, so we can identify them sooner and what intervention works. So we'll have a social worker that's going to work with them um, and really try to get them back on track. Well, that's exciting news. and uh, Well, it's a great honor to be yes. selected to do this oh, kind yeah. of work because it's not... 
preventing abuse, whether it's physical abuse, financial abuse, or self-neglect, preventing it, this is a new area um, in this country to really try to stop bad things before they happen. You have to understand it before you can stop it. That's right. Now, speaking of caregiving, because this show is called Caregiver SOS On Air, aimed at caregivers, there is a big new caregiver study that's been done. Well, there is, and it's it's kind of being talked about everywhere. It is um, a study on caregiving that was done from the National Academies of Sciences, Engineering, and Medicine, um, and they were looking at the nearly 18 million caregivers for older adults. So these are caregivers caring for someone who's older um, and who routinely have a really tough time navigating our system here uh, in this, this country or non-system such as it is in the United States, um, you know, there's just so, such little support for family caregivers, uh, and they really do need help. So, um, you know, this is really a policy recommendation, and, and it's looking at what's going on. So if you have someone who's caring for uh, an elderly family member, they're providing 253 hours of care a month, which is the equivalent of two full-time jobs. Um, so if it feels like for all you caregivers out there, if you feel like you're working two full-time jobs, uh, you're probably doing that, you know, about that. And the medium amount of care is five years for someone. Uh, one of the things you and I have talked about often are the lost wages when a caregiver quits working. It's $303,000. It's phenomenal. Which, you know, if I were to stack those bills up on a table and, and walk away from them, that's exactly what we're doing um, because, you know, we we don't get the earnings, we don't get the Social Security, we don't get any of the, that retirement income. And so they're looking at maybe we need to give caregivers um, Social Security credits for the years that they're caregiving like they were in the workforce um, and what the value of that job um, actually is. You know, and, and the other thing is, is shoring up our Family Medical Leave Act. I, m- many people know about family medical leave. Usually it's associated with a newborn baby, but you can take care of other relatives. The only problem is it only covers about 40% of the workforce. Uh, Because you either have to work for a division of government or you have to work in a private company that has at least 50 employees. That leaves all the small employers out. And it's non-paid. And it's it's non-paid. People can't afford to do it. And then, you know, they're afraid they'll lose their job. Like 17% of people who have an opportunity to take it um, don't because they're they're afraid that they won't get their job they had back. Um, And it leaves out... um, you know, daughters-in-laws and son-in-laws and stepchildren, grandchildren, nieces, nephews, siblings. So those relationships aren't covered by FMLA. Uh, so that it's just not enough. And, and this was a, a fairly comprehensive report. Um, and the kind of the the last things that they were talking about in, in wrapping up their recommendations was, you know, what do we need to address some of these besides the policy? What did caregivers need to do? Um, and, and one of those is, you know, you need to be identified in your loved one's medical records. So there are a lot of states that have passed the CARE Act, which is a Caregiver Advice Record and Enable Act, which says that you have to be in the hospital electronic medical record. That's not the doctor's office. That's not the specialist's office. That's not all the other office. In order to but have it access. is in the hospital. So that's well that's so that when they discharge right. the person, they have to notify the caregiver because I'm sure all the caregivers listening also have had an experience uh, where at a hospital somebody just decided, Oh, today's the day mom's going home. And, and nobody at, at and home you, knows. they didn't prepare you. They didn't tell you what was going on. You may not have known at all or it was a huge surprise to you. 
Um, wow. And so, and there's recommendations that they should recognize the caregiver as an individual. So it's family-centered care. It's not just person-centered care. It's not just about that patient. It's about the family member. And so maybe, you know, you're a a 100-pound woman and your husband is a 250-pound man that's had a hip fracture. Now, how is it exactly you're supposed to help him transfer from the bed to the chair? So are you able, physically able to do it? You know, if it's a, a wound care, are you you know, do you, are you able to handle that kind of the catheters and the wound care and the messy stuff that some of us, you know, probably would have a hard time doing? Uh, make sure we get the training that we need. Make sure caregivers get resources in the community. Um, and another issue that comes up quite often that you just mentioned, do we have access to the medical records? Do the, does the healthcare system, do they really understand HIPAA? which um, I think I've given an example. I'm standing in a hospital with my father next to me and my father saying, I, you know, I want you to discuss my case with my daughter. Oh, I can't because of HIPAA. Um, wrong. wrong. <laughs> Game over. Yeah. Uh, absolutely wrong. HIPAA is not that strict. And Hold that thought. We're going to come right back to you, but I want to remind those who may have just joined us. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron along with Carol Zernio. We talked with Rick Lauber in just a couple of moments uh, he's a Canadian, has been a caregiver for his mom and dad, has written a couple books on caregiving. We'll talk with him about that coming up in the next segment right here on Caregiver SOS on air. So if you get a HIPAA challenge, and we've done a couple shows on that as well, uh, you need to speak up for your rights and let them know they're wrong. You you can have access. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, your loved one just had, and it doesn't have to be in writing. Oh, okay, now we have to go get a form and get, you know, Mr. So-and-so to sign yeah, it and, right. and notarize it. No, he can just, they can just say they would like you to know. It doesn't have, they don't have to sign a form. Um, you don't need to get attorneys involved. Uh, there's just a lot of misunderstanding wow. um, about HIPAA, and too often we use that as an excuse uh, not to share information. It's supposed to facilitate care, not hinder care. Now, this is a companion topic with uh, another one that's hanging out there, our hidden long-term care problem in our country, and it's huge. And it's huge because it's, you know, we just talked about how many caregivers there are, but we haven't talked about how many caregivers we need. Um, and the fact of the matter is we don't have enough. We baby boomers. We're running out. We don't have enough people behind us to care for those of us who are aging in uh, to, to long-term care. Should have been making more babies. Too late now. <laughs> well, need to be doing something because we, yeah. we have a shortage and we, we don't have enough. And we are so severely underpaying our home care workers. There was a study, um, and by coincidence, I don't know if it's coincidence or not, about 90% were women. Um, Most of them didn't have a, um, you know, barely a high school education. They certainly didn't have uh, a a college education. And the the average wage is a huge issue. It causes 40 to 60% turnover in home care workers. So, you know, if you would be happy working for $10, so 10 years ago, Home care workers were making $10.22 an hour. Fast forward 10 years, now they're making $10.11 an hour. Wow. So 10 you years later. You can't live on that. You can't live on that. We're talking 16000 to $26,000 a year to take care of themselves and take care of their family members and take care of the loved one. 
So huge turnover. If you're lucky enough to get a job in a nursing home, you might, you know, make $12 an hour. So you might actually hit $30,000 a year or $32,000 a year. Um, and, you know, that's really there, – there was an interview with one uh, a home care worker who was having – because she couldn't get full-time work because nobody wants to pay for full-time benefits – so she's only working about 16 hours a week, $10 an hour, and she has to rent a room in somebody's apartment. Wow. And she would just love to be able to walk in the door and it be, you know, rent her own apartment, but a room and an apartment. Right. Um, so we've got a long way to go. Um, we're going to need, I, I think they said by 2020, 117 million Americans are going to need long-term care. Um, and there was another study that looked at IT workers who work more hours than long-term care workers versus the long-term care worker. In office, the long-term care workers had more stress. They have less autonomy. They have less pay. So, okay, all you high-tech guys out there, yeah, we know you're sitting in the chair a long time. But it's worse when you're bathing, dressing, wow. and caring for an older person. We're going to turn to Rick Lauber in just a couple of moments, get his firsthand story of caring for his mom and dad, and then talk about a couple of books that he has written Right here on Caregiver SOS On Air, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 9.30 a.m., The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio. And get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. In fact, WellMed Radio comes right before Caregiver SOS on air right here on 9.30 a.m. The Answer, a block of great programming for both uh, seniors and their families, for caregivers as well. And it comes to you every Sunday, and you can hear podcasts of these shows as well. In fact, uh, you know, download them, wrap them up. They make great Christmas and Hanukkah gifts. So you can pass on to your friends the best of WellMed Radio and you know, Caregiver SOS on air. You know, it's only October, Ron. It's just coming. too early for the gifts. Our kids are always asking. <laughs> Hanukkah but, Harry, they're yeah, worried. But you're right. But you're right. Great <laughs> yeah. gifts. Go ahead. So I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, and we welcome to our Caregiver SOS on air hotline, stretching all across the border into Alberta, Canada. And we're joined by Rick Lauber. Rick, how are you doing? And good afternoon. Good afternoon, Ron. Good afternoon, Carol. I'm doing well. Thank you. I appreciate you coming on. And uh, from the information we had, uh, you've had firsthand experience working as a caregiver for both your mom and your dad. Can you talk about that? Uh, sure, sure. Uh, your sources are absolutely correct. Um, I A number of years ago, I served as a, uh, a former co-caregiver for both of my parents. Uh, Mom had Parkinson's and leukemia. Dad had Alzheimer's disease. Uh, collectively, I, I worked with uh, my two sisters, my older and my younger sister, to help support Mom and Dad before they both died. 
Um, that involved my becoming a caregiver uh, and involved many, many newfound responsibilities. Uh, you know, just some examples, I talked to my parents about their final wishes. I, I assumed responsibility for the bank accounts, paid the bills, helped manage their investments. Um, I moved them repeatedly. I shuttled them to and from doctor's appointments. I picked up medications for them. I ultimately became Dad's uh, joint guardian and alternate trustee and had to make a lot of decisions for him. Um, very new, very unexpected uh, uh, territory for me. And, uh, you know, I was certainly not prepared, and I faced a, a very steep learning curve with that. So, so your background, you're, you're a writer and a book author I'm, by, by background, even before you were writing books about caregiving. Uh, my background is, is communications. I use that as a, a very loose umbrella term, Carol. Uh, I've worked in radio broadcasting. I've done some marketing, some customer service work. Uh, writing is actually something I uh, fell into a little bit later in life. I've always had a love of writing, but never really pursued it on a serious basis till probably about 10 years ago, perhaps. And uh, that's when I started uh, taking more writing classes and pursuing writing more seriously. So, yeah. Now, was, a that, a, was that a result of uh, the work you're doing as a caregiver, wanting to document and uh, record that for future generations? Yeah. Um, I, used, I used writing as, you know, a coping mechanism uh, would be the best way to say, uh, while Mom and Dad were alive, uh, you know, I found writing to be very effective as a means of of, uh, of sharing what was going on, my experiences, and more so my my thoughts and my feelings about what was going on. Um, it was a safe way to express myself. Uh, you know, I could you know I could either choose to share uh, that all of that publicly, or I could keep all of that quiet. And um, you know, some of it I, I decided to share and and. Actually, much of that became the platform for my my two books. So there was there was very good reason to write. Now, do you have uh, among your cohorts uh, in Alberta other friends who are caregiving as well for loved ones, or were you out there like the Lone Ranger? I began as a Lone Ranger, um, and I, I felt very much alone. Uh, you know, in the entire process, uh, many caregivers can echo that. Uh, you know, as it as it turned out, as I went along and as I started talking to people, asking questions and sharing, you know, I, I found out I was not the not the only one in the, in the boat. Um, you know, it really is a very very common experience, becoming more common as as our aging population uh, grows, both in Canada and the states. Uh, the problem is the problem is huge. Uh, you know, so. So yeah, no, I, I there were there were others that I, I found were were dealing with the same situation and uh, you know uh, in very similar situations. So what what was it that was missing? You've written two books, um, and it was the Caregivers Guide for Canadians, which we suspect is not vastly different than caregiving in the United States, um, as well as the successful Caregivers Guide. So what what was missing? What wasn't out there when you were looking for it? question um i would say what was missing for me was probably my lack of preparedness 
uh, for it. Uh, you know, it's it's funny. Um, aging is the natural course of life, but none of us seems to want to face that head on. Uh, you know, granted, getting older, getting sicker, uh, death and dying, they're not they're not comfortable topics to talk about. And and I think we tend to ignore that and maybe go through life with the horse blinders on, as it were, and and just look straight ahead and and not consider the future. And I was one of those uh, people that didn't didn't ever imagine mom and dad getting older, and didn't ever imagine the day that you know I would perhaps be needed to provide help and support. Well, tell us how that happened. I mean, did you get a call one day from your sister who said, hey, Rick, I need help with this, or were your mom or your dad call you? How did you end up doing this caregiving? <laughs> um, it began with uh, mom and dad were, were teaching at the local university in Edmonton uh, for their entire careers. They retired, and they chose to move out to uh, beautiful and sunny Victoria, British Columbia. I don't blame them at all. Uh, before they left, uh, Mum uh, divulged it to us that she had the beginnings of Parkinson's disease. Uh, this was new to us, but it really wasn't a huge concern. It was more of an inconvenience. Her hands were shaking a little bit, and you know, but it wasn't it wasn't that bad. Uh, you know, Dad wasn't showing anything um, unusual or you know in the way of his Alzheimer's as yet. Uh, Mom and Dad lived uh, lived out in Victoria for a good number of years. Uh, they functioned quite well out there, and uh, you know, as it turned out, you know, Mum had to go to the local hospital uh, because she uh, she almost collapsed. She, as it turned out, when she got to the hospital, uh, the diagnosis was that she had leukemia. Her blood her blood count was very very low. And, um, you know, she, they had to get her in for a transfusion immediately. Uh, you know, word got back to my younger sister, who's in Calgary, uh, who immediately flew out there to, to um, you know, try to manage the situation as best she could. Uh, she got back to my older sister and I. So, you know, it was, you know. Uh, it was a shock for you. It was very much a shock. It was it was unexpected. Um you know, like I said, I, I wasn't prepared for it. I wasn't even thinking about it. And without any prior notice uh, or, or warning, uh, you know, when the, when the call came from my younger sister uh, that this is what happened, yeah, it was. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Do you remember what she said and how she said it? Uh, actually, it was my younger sister. Uh, probably, she's quite matter-of-fact, so she probably would have just said, you know, mom's, mom's been admitted to the Victoria Hospital. Uh, here's what's going on. So did your father already have signs of Alzheimer's at that time? Or did, you know, how how long was it before that happened? That came about, that's kind of hard to judge because he'd always been very absent-minded. Uh, you know, we joked with him and... and uh, well, he was a professor, it. right? He was a professor. We always called him the absent-minded professor. Yeah, the stereotype. Right? Yeah, it was it was a family joke, but it became far more serious. Um, you know, so we I can't really put a, a time and a date on on when uh, you know when the problems became more you know more more evident for Dad. It just uh, you know we uh, we, we think perhaps. You know, perhaps before your mom took ill, 
maybe she was protecting him and enabling for him uh, to cover it up. That's very common. It's possible. It really is. Uh, you know, we we brought mom and dad back to Edmonton for a second opinion on mom's mom's condition. Same, you know, same uh, results as, as what was she was told already. A little surprise, but you know, when they were back in Edmonton, that's when we 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 could actually witness uh, that dad was starting to slide a bit as well, and that's when we started to get concerned about him as well. What were you seeing? Uh, increased forgetfulness. Um, you know, one of the one of the first signs for him was um, you know he he would rely more on his notepad to uh, to write notes and reminders to himself. Uh, he would also start uh, he would commonly tell the same stories and ask the same questions a lot. Uh, you know of right. You know his 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 life in uh, their life in Victoria and and uh, um, you know asking the same questions uh, you know that he just asked you know a few minutes before so it was you know uh, it was something that we we like I said became quite obvious. All right, now hold that thought. We're going to come back to you in just a couple of moments here. Uh, sure. And, and I'm curious. I, I want to talk about the books and the kind of advice and information that you've put together for caregivers and uh, how that might have changed your approach to caregiving if you had all already, a la Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future, written those books and had them in hand when you began caregiving. So stick with us. Rick Lauber, who is with us on our Caregiver SOS On Air Hotline. I'm Ron Aaron. Along with Carol Zerniel on Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer. It's hard to believe, but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, but with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff. We come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Thank you so much for being with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. We're on 9.30 a.m. The Answer and talking on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline with Rick Lauber, a caregiver and author of two big books dealing with caregiving. He's also authored uh, some chapters for Chicken Soup for the Soul, It's Christmas, as well as Chicken Soup for the Soul, My Very Good, Very Bad Cat. Which is the one I, you know, on our next show. Let's talk about that. 
because Carol in her Carol in her next life will be a cat lady. So that that'll be perfect. So Rick, we were talking about uh, you end up in a caregiving role, co-caregiving, as you pointed out with your sister. Uh, if you had had already written those books and they were in hand, uh, how would that have changed what you did and and your approach to caregiving? I think I think it would have helped me immensely uh, having more knowledge and and more resources going into it. Uh, it certainly would have been an eye opener uh, for me as well. Uh, you know, as I um, explained earlier, I I wasn't prepared for any of this, and you know, but but maybe reading about it, uh, you know, in in a book uh, or, or talking with more people would have. Uh, would have woken me up, uh, really. I think it would have been more of a wake-up call, uh, you know, to what could happen in the future. Um, you know, I think, having gone through it, I, I think there are a lot of caregiving resources out there at, at so many different levels, but I don't think caregivers really know how or really know where to start, uh, you know, looking for those resources or, or what questions to ask. So. I think you know having you know having the book or the books in advance would have would have been would have been beneficial to me. So in you know in the in the list of topics in your books you talk about understanding the different types of caregivers. So what do you see as the different types? Um there are there are a lot of different personalities, um abilities, mannerisms and beliefs. That people possess, uh, you know, caregivers are certainly not all created equal. Um, you know, I think, I think it's important to assess and evaluate strengths and weaknesses uh, before assuming any caregiving role, so that you can do uh, the best job possible. Um, a few examples, I think, of different types of caregivers that people might, uh, you know, might. Uh, relate to are the independent caregiver. Uh, there's, there's one who's uh, determined, motivated, uh, perhaps a bit stubborn, um, and wants to do everything him or herself. Uh, there's a sharing caregiver. Uh, that's the one who balances life and caregiving responsibilities. Uh, you know, I was, I was a somewhat sharing caregiver because I worked with my sisters. Um, a collaborative caregiver uh, that's similar. Uh, that person is practical sensible, realistic, resourceful, and finally a delegating caregiver who uh, is dynamic, confident, leader, and uh, refers the job, uh, delegates the job to everyone else. That's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, you, you do <laughs> yeah. it. You I would be the delegator, yeah. Hey, Carol, do you mind picking up Take X? care of that, yeah. please. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so, you know, you, you also talk about understanding there's joy in caregiving. And when you talk about your parents, we can hear in your voice that um, it, it sounds like this was a labor of love, that you and your sisters really wanted to do the best for your parents. Definitely. I am so glad you asked that. Um, a lot of people I talk to and a lot of people I, I share with, they 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 look ahead to caregiving as as doom and gloom, and it's not. It's not really at all. Um, you know, during during the most difficult times of caregiving, uh, you know, I forged stronger family relationships. I I definitely opened lines of communication between my parents and my sisters. 
I became better organized, and I grew. Uh, you know, I grew more confident. I grew my own personal resolve. Um, you know, you can you can increase your own opportunities for self discovery. Uh, you know, find out what you're capable of doing. Uh, you can also discover who your true friends are. Those are the ones that stay with you over the course of time. Uh, so, so yeah, it's not it's not all doom and gloom. Um, you know, a story if I can if I can share. Oh, we love hearing I, stories. <laughs> sure. I remember one time I was visiting my mother, uh, my mother and my father when they were still in Victoria. Uh, Dad was away that day, but uh, you know, mum and mum and I were in the living room of their of their seniors condo, and uh, she she fell she fell down, and she headed up like lying on her back on on the floor, and she was flailing around and waving her arms and legs and, and describing herself as an overturned turtle because she couldn't she didn't have the strength to get back up again. And, you know, I was concerned immediately and, and you know, helped helped her up and she was fine. And we both had a great laugh about it. So, you know, I still remember that and you know, I, I love that story and you know, I think I think I think there should be more laughter in caregiving because it's an important part. Well, and and there are a lot of caregivers you know, we've talked to on the show over the years that will tell you, you know, you really have to maintain that sense of humor. Um, you know, I, I know recently my mother, who also has Alzheimer's, is living in an assisted living facility in memory care, and my mother has always worn long pants, right? Long pants mm-hmm. her entire life. And my sister and my father go to visit her, and the staff have dressed her in someone else's clothes, and she's wearing short pants. So she's got these little shorts and her little white legs <laughs> going down the hall. And, you know, they just they burst out laughing because, she, you know, she's all happy to see him and doesn't realize that she dressed really looks way different with her little white legs hanging out with these somebody else's short pants. <laughs> and, and as opposed to being mad, they just they thought it was, you know, you got to have a sense of humor. It's about the 10th time they got in the wrong clothes on her, but at least these were funny. Exactly. I mean, it's, it's great to smile. It's great to laugh. And, uh, you know, you have to allow yourself to laugh as well. Like, it's not, you know, it's, it, it's not a bad thing. You know, you, you have to laugh to, uh, to release that, that tension and, and to release stress. As you take a look at your caregiving journey, and, and obviously you learned a great deal uh, is there more we can do as a society uh, to prepare us for this? Because, you know, look around you. Everyone is either going to be a caregiver, a care recipient, or both at some point. Should we do more uh, educationally? Should we do more outreach in schools? Should we prepare uh, individuals uh, for that responsibility? Sure wouldn't hurt. Um, you know, something like something like Caregiving 101 could be taught Taught in taught in high school, uh, you know, and uh, you know to to actually start to get people thinking about the future. Um, you know, granted, it would be difficult to uh, to instill those type of uh, that that type of facts in you know in the mind of a you know sixteen or seventeen year old teenager. But you know, it's something if you start talking about it younger when you're younger, you know, maybe maybe some of that'll stick. Well, and just the, you know, I was interested that you, you know, the the word caregiver, um, there are different words for caregivers um, in different 
you know, parts of the world, carer, care partners, caregiver. Um, there's been a lot of discussion lately. So do you come down, you know, now, would you, does the care, the word caregiver, does that mean something to you? Did you know that's who you were when you started? I believe so, yeah. I, I referred to myself as, as a caregiver, uh, you know, from day one. I, you know, I realized what I was doing or what I was stepping into, and, and you know, that was, that was the best term, uh, you know, at the moment. It was a very appropriate term. Uh, interestingly enough, I, you know, when I told people uh, that I was a caregiver, not everybody totally understood that term, and I had to further explain it. Uh, which, you know, speaks volumes as to the seriousness of the problem. Well, what did you uh, say to explain it? I was just, usually I just, I, I followed that up by saying I'm helping and supporting my, my parents uh, as they're getting older with their various conditions. And, uh, you know, then it's like, oh, you know, people would understand. The light right. bulb would go on. Yeah, it's a really tough, you know, if, you, if you're trying to write brochures or, or books and, and you, you need a word, because um, otherwise you have to do 15 sentences, you know, if you're helping to, you know, to driving, medications, grocery shopping, bathing, dressing, and it just, you have to list. If you're doing all of these things, then you're a caregiver. And, and it turns out in Spanish, there is no comparable word. No, not oh, wow. at no, not at all. Uh, and the word that um, has been used, cuidadores, means somebody who takes like care of the yard. <laughs> oh, <wow>. So, <laughs> so it just you know, there's no translation for that, and there's no word. And, and yet, that's a a standard familial uh, service provided caregiving for for elder relatives. It's a traditional and historic, but they just never labeled it. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's, we're, we're, there's, a, there's a huge difference between raking leaves and taking care of your pets. <laughs> that's yes. right. Yeah, taking yeah. care of the grounds. That's ten four <laughs> on that. <laughs> You're right. That's pretty funny. So, Rick Lauber, uh, we got a couple of minutes left, and, and before we, I have to say goodbye to you. You, you write uh, interestingly enough about balancing career and caregiving, and how some employers may finally uh, be paying attention, providing benefits. Uh, for those who are caregiving, for especially the elderly, that's correct. That's that is a big, big issue. Um, you know, many of us are working uh, full time careers. Um, I heard Carol mention it off the top there in the introduction uh, that working and care, you know, working as a caregiver can become almost a secondary full time job. Yeah, all encompassing. And you know, um, I did that for a while as well, and uh, really. Uh, you know, pay the price in a number of different ways. Um, you know, caregivers can often miss work time uh, due to, you know, taking an elderly parent to appointments or or even lack uh, the attention necessary while on the job. Um, you know, you can't always easily start a conversation with your employer about your situation, uh, but you're probably not the only one in the office juggling those two jobs. Uh, you may become the catalyst for change. Um, you know, uh, one one company um, I'd really like to mention and applaud is uh, Deloitte LLP, uh, who recently uh, unrolled a plan to provide um, it's up to 16 weeks paid leave, paid leave for caregiving employees. Uh, that is really truly commendable on their part, and I really love to see more employers follow suit. Well, that yeah, 16 weeks that's really. Phenomenal. I mean, that's enough. Four to, months. Yeah, to get somebody at, who's had a 
either a significant illness or injury out of the hospital, out of rehab um, and situated again, or enough time to try to figure out what the heck is going on when you realize that your elderly loved one has dementia and can't live at home anymore um, and you need to you know, kind of Find lay the groundwork for that. So if we were to try to get a hold of your books in the last few seconds we have, where do we find Caregiver's Guide for Canadians and the successful Caregiver's Guide? Well, if, uh, if you're north of the border, uh, Caregiver's Guide for Canadians is in uh, chapters in Indigo bookstores uh, across Canada and on Amazon.ca. Uh, the Successful Caregiver's Guide is available at uh, Barnes & Noble bookstores and online at Amazon.com. And you have a Rick uh, Lauber website. I do. My website is fairly easy and straightforward. It's www.ricklauber.com. And what will folks find there? Uh, they will find a, uh, they'll find my story uh, about uh, my own caregiving experience. They will find resources. Uh, that I've recommended uh, to caregivers, um, different levels. They will find uh, uh, links to media interviews and, and uh, stories that I've written. So a, a good huh. number, uh, a lot of information now. And a cute picture of you holding your book. Of course, yeah. <laughs> I like that. Hey, you take care. Rick Lauber, it's been a real pleasure talking with you. And Carol was not kidding. We're going to get you back to talk about Chicken Soup for the Soul, the very good, very bad cat because every one of us who's been a cat owner cat lover has had one of each if not one who is both it will be my pleasure to join you again thanks take care bye-bye up next on caregiver sos on air uh, we're going to join dr jamie heisman carol zernial and meet ron aaron for take 10 right here on 9 30 a.m the answer it's hard to believe but this all began in the year 2010. Has it really been that long that we've Dr. been together? Dr. Robin Eikhoff, Ron Aaron, WellMed Radio. What a terrific ride it's been. And since then, and continuing, we have talked about everything. We've talked about medical issues, we've talked about legal issues, end-of-life issues, and the list goes on. You name a disease, and we've covered it, uh, with answers for people who have it, aimed primarily at seniors and their loved ones. Seniors and caregivers and grandchildren and on and on. So why do you like doing radio? Well, I love spending time with you, Ron. Oh, thank you. That's one of my favorite parts. Well, I appreciate it. But that. I like educating, and I like educating patients and family members. There's so many things that we can do with this outreach. So listen to WellMed Radio and get healthy. Ron Aaron, Dr. Robin Eikoff, we come to you Sunday afternoons at 5 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. <laughs> Well, thank you very much for staying with us right here on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each of our programs, we jump to Take 10, a 10-minute look at a topic of interest to folks who are caregivers, their friends and family and others. And this topic welcomes on board Dr. Jamie Heisman, a nationally known psychotherapist in Florida, joins us on our Caregiver SOS On Air hotline. Uh, Dr. Jamie is a specialist in addictions and caregiving. And Carol Zerniel and me, Ron Aaron, we ride along with us and got a pretty good topic you want to take a look at well this one was appeared on the huffington post um and all of us if we're working with caregivers um or we are caregivers eventually we're going to come across someone who is dealing with a terrible illness 
or someone who's lost a loved one. And for many of us, I think, especially these days, it can be really hard when we have no idea how to comfort someone. So, Jamie, why is it so difficult for us to figure out something to say or do when when someone else is grieving? You know, Carol, the hardest thing for us to do as caregivers and just even as, as human beings is to accept uh, our powerlessness. That's the most difficult thing. We stay in control, or we want to have the semblance of staying in control. And watching a loved one suffer is one of the hardest things in the world. We feel like, you know, we're being trapped in their nightmare, and, and we want to be able to fix it. That's, that's really the essence of it. There's, you know, we just want to fix it. So many of us, you know, feel like we need to rush in and just say something, say anything uh, to try to comfort someone, you know, especially if they if their loved one, let's say that they the person is a caregiver and their loved one has passed away. Um, you know, is that is that always the best approach is saying something, anything better than saying nothing? You know, that's a good question. Um, I, I, you know, my feeling is you, you bear witness. You, you give a person a safe place, some person that they can actually talk to, someone who will listen, somebody who will stare them in the eyes as opposed to looking down or around. I mean, there's so many ways to support your loved one. Uh, um, it's not your job to take away their pain. You need to acknowledge this and, and, and accept it if you're a caregiver. Um, but your love and understanding, I think, is the best medicine that they need. And that feeling of love and understanding comes across loud and clear when you're present in the moment. And, and also taking time to learn about their illness. So in these days where so often we turn to um, our cell phone, is texting sorry for your loss? Is it appropriate to text, And you know, at this time? Wow. You know, bearing witness, I've never thought of it from an electronic basis, but I'd say an absolute <laughs> no. Uh, beyond that, um, if you can't pick up the phone and, and be there, be present for them and understand what they're going through and, and, and realize you can't fix it, but you can certainly communicate your, your empathy and your sympathy and your compassion to them, um, there's nothing, nothing that substitutes for that. But if you talk to millennials, as I, I do from time to time when I can't avoid it, and, and you talk about phones and phone calls, I had a conversation the other day w- w- with a young man who uh, we were talking about texting versus phone calls. I said, uh, how often do you make a phone call? He said, never, maybe two a month, maybe two a month. They use texting for everything, everything. I know, and I think that's a, a, an issue that we really all need to look at. I think, how can you validate somebody's pain through a text? And, and how can you, you be there and, you know, for this person in a text? And I think that whether they choose, the millennials, if you will, to use text, I think we have to be vigilant about our values and how we approach death, dying, chronic illness, um, you know, issues like that. I mean, we have to be there. We don't have to text. Text is a, it's too easy, Ron. It's well, too easy. I was going to say that needs to be one of the two phone calls that month that the person <laughs> makes. That's a good point. You <laughs> have to spring for that. You know, I often say texting is an inaccurate form of communication because you can use all the emoji, the little faces, you know, animals, whatever it is that you want. But um, you, you can't communicate the sound, the emotion that goes with the words um, when you're doing something in a text, you know, and... But now you can send voice texts. 
Well, you can't. Okay, so complicate it further. <laughs> Thank you. You can send voice. Okay, voice. Text. That's kind of like a voicemail, but you're not actually talking to the person. You're right. leaving them a message. Correct. You're talking at them. Yes. So, well, and Ron, you you know, there's also other programs which I've even sent you, Marco Polo, which yes. allows you to actually videotape the text. And and you know, that's getting closer. But to be perfectly blunt with you, uh, just like Carol said, that should be one of your calls, and that value should be instilled upon that person. Um, we often get fearful of what to say, and I think that says a lot about our own self care and our own confidence in ourselves. Stick with us. We're right now doing Take 10 here on Caregiver SOS On Air. Ron Aaron with Carol Zerniel and our good friend Dr. Jamie Heisman talking about how to comfort someone uh, in a time of crisis, loss, uh, and what are the best ways to do that because none of us really know what to say. Well, there are two interesting examples in this particular um, post. One of them was talking about uh, the value of listening, that rather than saying anything, they simply ask, you know, you know, uh, at the end of your life, you know, what were the things that your mother enjoyed? Um, and let the the caregiver talk about her mother and just take it from there. And that became multiple conversations so that this person, whenever, you know, they saw them, they they would think again, they, you know, renew the conversation, you know, what I really miss about my mother. And it just gave a chance for that caregiver to, you know, talk through her emotions. And that person just listened and didn't really say anything other than, you know, a question to trigger a response. One of the nice things about being Jewish, Dr. Jamie, is uh, sitting Shiva after a death where the family will gather and friends and relatives will come visit. And a lot of that is done at that event. It is. And, and pressing is, too, if you will. You're eating and celebrating the person's life when you're sitting on that bench and sitting Shiva. It's a, it's a routine. In which it's, it's a ritual. It's something that allows you to start transforming. Uh, but to Carol's point, you know, just to, to be with somebody and give them space when they need it is incredibly important. I don't know if we understand in this fast-paced world that living, you know, with chronic illness can be so incredibly lonely. And it's easy to feel disconnected from the world. And so it, it, to relate to somebody is extraordinarily important. Just knowing we're not alone in that moment of pain is enough for us. And so for somebody to be there, if you will, and yet to give space, I think is is the greatest thing we could possibly do as a caregiver. Well, the other example that they gave that was so interesting was uh, there was a woman who really didn't want any visitors. She was, you know, in deep mourning. Um, and so the gentleman uh, came to her house and he just pulled the crabgrass in her yard um, and pulled the weeds. And so he did knock on the door. He knew that she could see that he was out there doing something for her in her yard, that he was there and thinking of her. Um, but he just did a little lawn work for her, uh, rather than, you know, actually approaching her, which I thought was kind of interesting. I don't I'm trying to think how I would feel if I, you know, my, saw some saw, <laughs> well, saw a friend out there pulling the crabgrass, you know, in the yard. It would take forever. Wow. Anything like that is important. Actually, what you're doing is validating their existence. And so uh, a person who's disconnected, a person who has chronic illness, a person who doesn't feel a part of this world, who sees somebody you know, mowing their grass or, or experiences somebody in front of them who says, I, I understand how you feel, I mean, it can go you know, so far. Well, and I think the other thing that even if we, you know, there's that immediate loss, but I'm thinking of someone, um, their son committed suicide, and um, another person, I think it had been like maybe, 
don't know, 12, 13 years since the son had committed suicide and called on the her son's birthday and said, I just want to let you know that I'm thinking about your son. And she's like, no one ever says his name anymore. No one remembers him anymore. And it just meant so much to her that many years later that someone mentioned him and remembered him. And so, you know, remembering our loved ones, uh, having somebody remember our loved ones with us later on can be important too. That's a great idea. Oh, it is It is a wonderful idea. And it, it says something that the, the texters and the millennials uh, will probably have to learn. And I'm sure they will. I think this is a heartfelt piece here. It's just to, that people just want people to understand them and to be there for them. And actually, again, this goes back to many of our other uh, Take Tens, where really it's about our own self-care, our own ability to sit with somebody in discomfort and yet to listen and just to be present. At some future Take Ten, we ought to talk about loneliness. What is it? Uh, what are the manifestations? Because it, it stretches across species so that uh, humans and other animals uh, can feel loneliness. More on another Take Ten. We are flat out of time. Dr. Jamie Heisman, Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for joining us on Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.